0: Hi everyone! Um, wow, that's loud up here. Um, let's see. This is uh, the breaking the mold session, and this is the first breakout. So you know, if you kind of get the hang of this. It's the same way tomorrow. Um, but we are very lucky today to have a really wonderful and nice large panel here of new producers, young producers who. Um, are producing wonderful stories. I got to hear several of them last night, and just amazing work that's coming from the young voices of today. So it is my pleasure to introduce Davia Nelson and students from Blunt Radio, um, Extreme Youth Zone Media, So I forget that in DC, um, Voices of Youth um, from Moab, Utah, and Queen of Peace High School Living on Earth Ecological Literacy project in from Chicago. And um, we're just going to have the panel and, um, I think, questions at the end, perhaps. Is that right? So um, enjoy, and thanks very much for coming.
1: Thank you all for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to be on stage with this group of radio producers. I sort of from my world view look and I go, I see the future Kitchen Sisters amongst us right here. Uh, the two gals next to me, Tiana Clemens and Gabriela Santiago are from here in Chicago, right? At, um, I love this, Queen of Peace is the high school and their organization. And next to them is Haley Peterson, who is uh, from Moab, Utah. Now she's in college in uh, Durango. And um voices of youth and caring about teens from Moab Utah and we'll hear from them. And next to them are uh, Wing Yan Lao and Qi Zan from Zhang, I'm sorry, from uh, XYZ Extreme Media. And holding down the other end of the table is Molly Adams from Blunt Radio in Portland, Maine. So What do, what do they say in baseball? We have a deep bench here. Um, I also want to introduce, just quickly before we get into the um, stories, there's a lot of staff and other colleagues of all these gals. And uh, let's start with the staff of Blunt. Staff and anyone who's a part of Blunt Radio in Portland, Maine, why don't you all stand?
2: <laughs> woo 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 woo, woo.
1: We're going to talk with each of these organizations as the panel rolls, but let's just get familiar with the faces. Um, okay. XYZ Extreme Youth Media. Everybody. Wait a minute. Where's Deep? Where's Foo Deep? Where are you, Foo? That's Foo is also part of that team. Okay. Um, from KZMU and Voices of Youth in Moab. Make yourselves known. And then last but not least, Queen of Peace here in Chicago, living on Earth Ecological Literacy Project, this gang. All right. We're all a little nervous up here. For many of us, it's our first time on stage and talking to a big group and Frankly, none of us really want to be here, but we're going to do this anyway. We want to be here at Third Coast, but not here on this stage. Uh, so we're in it together. And, Molly, it falls to you Ooh. to uh, kick things off. Why don't you first tell us about Blunt?
3: Um, I'm Molly Adams. Uh, Blunt Youth Radio is in Portland, Maine, and our members are from all the greater Portland area. We air once a week, Monday night, 730 to 830. And, um, and it's a live show. It's completely team produced. It's a public affairs talk show. So we host it. It's like a talk show intermixed with uh, pre-recorded features. And um, I guess that's,
1: that's blunt. That's blunt. She's, She's blunt. Uh, one thing I noticed in talking with the gals ahead of time is a lot of them were brought into radio
3: from their sisters.
1: And Molly. Is that the case with you? Can you Yeah, talk about um, that? my
3: older sister brought me into blunt, and I know a couple of my friends had siblings who are in blunt now. It's kind of a second generation thing right now. And um, yeah, was wing? Was it you who told me? Was it your sister also, or was that
1: she, who, your sister got you involved with radio? Or she? No, it was a dream I had. Um, in my dream, your sister got you involved with radio. Um, So, Molly, why don't you kick things off with your story and tell us what led you to do this?
3: All right. uh, The piece that there's not really a title for, it's a sound collage on the youth opinion on Iraq. And I produced it with another, an ex blunter she's traveling in Europe right now, Jessie margolis Pinio, And we went to the NFCB in San Francisco this spring, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters Conference, and the day we arrived in San Francisco was the day, March 19th, when the U.S. first started bombing Iraq in order to uh, get Saddam out of there, I guess, and among other things. And we, we just, you know, we went to the conference and we came back, and one of the shows that Blunt decided was, you know, timely, was to do a show on the war. And Jesse and I decided to go do a Vox Pop. and. What we do was we, we asked one question to all young people, how do you feel about the war in Iraq or what do you think about the war in Iraq? And we decided from the get-go that we wanted to make a sound collage, make kind of a more creative, kind of arty piece based on things that we've heard here at Third Coast and things that we've heard at the NFCB to make things a little different. So um, I guess you can just take a listen and then roll tape, boys.
4: How do you feel about the war? Why do you think the
3: war is being
0: fought? Okay, um, how do you feel about the war? How do
5: you feel about the war? And why do you think the war is being fought? Why do you think the war is being fought?
0: Okay, how do you feel about the war? How do you feel about
5: the war? Why do you think this war is in Iraq? How do you feel about the war? How
2: do
3: you feel?
5: How do you feel about the
6: war? Uh, I don't really like it.
7: Uh, we um um uh um uh um uh, oh, I don't like it. Uh no comment, no comment. How come you don't have um, an opinion? Um because uh I'm high.
6: I think it's being fought um um because I
5: don't know. I just how do you I, feel I about you, the war? Why? I think the war's
8: been I don't have any, any comments um, on comment. I don't know. Um I think I don't know, really. Um, um nobody's ever asked me that
9: uh,
6: all.
8: <laughs>
9: um uh, <laughs> It's kinda of stupid and kind of not. Um uh, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say I'm against it. Um, well, I don't think
10: we should be at war. I
6: was told because Oil. of everything that happened, like, with Saddam and him, like, killing How do you his feel own about people, war? like,
7: for no reason.
10: There's no reason for
11: people to fight.
10: We should all just get along. Um, uh, economic.
6: I don't
7: know what to say about
10: that.
6: I think
12: that George Bush is a recovering alcoholic and uh, shouldn't be making decisions for the country.
9: I do believe somewhat that I it is for the Iraqi more. people, but I think mostly because he's selfish. Because George account. Bush thinks that um, he his dad's war. With war, I don't think it's any uh, really ever really one reason. Um, I'm not really
13: sure how I feel. I don't think there's enough information for me to base an opinion. I think even how if do you feel you don't about agree the war. With something, maybe you should
6: support the troops that are over there.
14: I feel that President Bush is doing the correct
4: thing at this point in time.
6: I don't really know. Which is probably the problem.
4: <laughs> Why do
3: you think this war is being fought?
6: Well, to get rid of Saddam Hussein. Saddam's like a bad person. And Saddam's an evil man that we should have gotten rid of 12 years ago or before. How you need do
12: you to feel look about the
9: war? out for the greater people good of the greater, people, the greater people. people. And if taking out Saddam means that um, people won't be oppressed anymore, then I think that's a really good thing. Well, a lot of people think it it's was for over oil. At, um, oil, but
12: I don't think that's the main reason. And some people say it's revenge. And I don't think that. I think it's a lot of little things that are building Weapons up of mass and, destruction. Um, if people look into the things that Saddam Hussein has done. And they're, it's really horrible, some of the things he's done. September
9: 11th showed us that How Americans aren't safe. The, the two oceans can't protect us anymore. Uh, I, I know that a lot of people think uh, it's for oil, and I don't necessarily uh, agree with that.
8: I think that the war is bad, but however, like in certain aspects, it's a good thing because we need to show that we, we're not like little people. We're one of the most functioning states in the world, and hell yeah, we're in debt, but
15: hey, we're making up for it.
9: I don't think it's a just war, but... I know, I kind of go both uh, ways because part of me doesn't think it's just, but part of me thinks something needs to be done to um, get Saddam out of there. <laughs> I
5: don't know. It's being fought because the United States
16: has a tendency to go into other countries. Why do you think the I being think we're caught. going
9: in for like to defeat him and stuff, but I also think uh, if we're trying to save the Iraqi people, um, uh,
6: we're not doing a very good job by killing them, too. Why do you think the war is kind of being fought? That.
17: Because I question America's motives for the war. Um, I don't think that this is to liberate Iraq or because of weapons of mass destruction, because there are other countries that pose a greater threat Why to America as weapons of gone. mass destruction with people that need to be liberated.
5: I think it's good that... We're trying to get rid of terrorism, but it's bad that we have to hurt people in the process.
0: War is never good, but I support our president. And I support our, our
15: troops, and I uh, want to help out the people in Iraq. I like think the world bullshit. Bush the f***ing, <laughs> <Iraq>. um, <laughs> you know, killing innocent people. It's <gasps> not right. I'm
6: very happy that we went in. Um,
18: oh, I'm against it. Very
15: um,
6: against
18: it. Uh, I don't really like it. Uh, we. Um. Um.
6: Have... Uh, I don't really like it. Uh, how do you feel do you about, you feel about,
5: the, about war? the war? Why do you think the uh, war is being, being fought? Okay, um,
3: how, do how do you feel about, about the, the war? war?
5: How do you feel about and the, why the war? Do you think the how do you being fought? For
3: Blunt, this is Molly Adams and Jesse Margolis. <laughs> About those ums, tell us about, about them. those ums. When uh, this aired, um, uh, this aired before um, like anybody had actually heard it. And when I played it for all of Blunt, every when we have our huge group meetings, we'll listen to something, and we played this as a piece. And I, Jesse, and I received some criticism from fellow members that the ums were taken out of context. That these ums were not. They're an expression of their opinion but rather an um as you've noticed is part of your natural speech pattern so um <laughs> that's that's kind of the controversy I, got. I don't i guess i don't know if anybody felt that way or felt that we misrepresented the the overall but f- what led to the um montage there the just cascade of um well, I, I always notice ums whenever I'm producing an interview or whenever I'm producing anything. When you're looking at in pro tools, there's just this big block of sound, like um. And when we were cutting it all apart, we just kept noticing all the ums that we were taking out. At the beginning, you know, right after the question, it's how do you, you know, I'd say, how do you feel about the war? And, you know, you'd get this look and then uh, big pause. And then they'd say something or you'd hear
7: I, I don't know,
3: and that would be it. So we just started to take them out and separate them all out, and we kind of did the same things to ourselves by by putting the question in there from in the beginning and in the end, framing it and throughout the piece. So,
1: uh, people, if you have questions about this piece, please you know step up now. And also questions about blunt, and we'll come back to that. Does anyone want to ask Molly anything? All right, well, oh,
4: Nikki.
3: Uh Yeah, it probably did. I did have an opinion, and I do have a strong opinion about the war, and I think that is one of the – we have another piece that uh, was done by Jess Mergel's Pinio and another explunter, Valerie Randall, that's called Do You Have an Opinion, expressing the same – kind of in a different way, expressing that outrage over the fact that kids either don't have an opinion or are so unaware of the issues, so – I took a lot of that out when I set out interviewing when some kids would say, I was challenging people in the interviews like, oh, well, would you go to war? Well, I don't know. And I was like, well, how can you say that you support it then? And I think that that did, it probably, you can, I think, get a, a cynical, I feel that the piece is a bit cynical, that it's, it, it my opinion probably, our opinions probably did affect this piece that we it's more cynical against our i think against our gener not our generation but the group our our peer group than the administration the bush administration but Did you use the um, as a way of, of showing that for the cynicism, so that, um on that cynicism, e- yeah i think so the just the the length of it in the beginning and um the, the, yeah, that's kind of what it was, just these people can't, they don't have this solid opinion, and i you hear, there's one quote from a kid in there that it just sounds like he's parroting what his parents said, or he said it so many times that these kids weren't so forthright with their opinions. Like, right away, you do hear some that are just like, you know, I think this war is bullshit, and, like, you that that really forceful opinion, but at the same time, there there's so much, I don't know, kind of good, kind of not, so...
10: I th- at the point, That was what I gathered, is that you were trying to make a point with the ums, and you just basically confirmed that you, you had an opinion. You were trying to make it clear that people haven't really thought this through. Here we're going to war, which is the most mm-hmm. serious decision that a society can make, and people are going, um, 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 and th- the way that it cascaded, th- to me, it seems so original. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. uh, contrast that with Man on the Street, all things considered, I mean, nobody would dare do what you did, and that was much more effective.
3: Thank you very much. Is
1: there another question? I don't know what is in the water in Portland, Maine, but it seems to be such a hotbed for radio and its future between Blunt and Salt, the documentary uh, program there. So hats off to Portland, Maine. Um,
11: There's fluoride in our water. (laughs)
1: I do know what's in the water in Washington, D.C., and it's talent, and two representatives. I love the name of this group, Extreme Youth Zone XYZ Media from Washington, D.C., and two members of the group are on stage with me today, uh, Wing Yan Lau and Chi Zhang, as I said, and uh, we're going to hear from Wing's piece. And Wing is a sophomore at the School Without Walls in Washington, and she moved with her family to the United States from Hong Kong two years ago. And in February of 2003, she decided to join XYZ Radio as a way to pr- improve her language skills. And uh, her piece is uh, Learning English. Wing, do you want to set it up just a little bit? How long did it take you to um, do this piece? How long did you work on it? About a month. A month? What month? How, how long after you had moved to the United States? Was in the first year or two?
19: After a year.
1: After a year. Do you want people to keep something in mind as we hear this story? Is there something to be listening for in particular? Listen up. Here's learning English.
19: Hi, everybody. My name is Mingye. By hearing my name, you will probably know that I am Asian. I came to the United States for about one and a half years. I found it's hard to live in a new nation than having a totally different language and culture. Besides me, I believe that you know more people think in the same way when they first got here. So I interviewed a shopkeeper, Will. my ESL teachers,
16: Jonathan Joe,
19: and two folks in the streets.
18: Muhammad Adra
19: Turk. We all had a hard time in the first or two years after we came here. First of all, you listen to my stories of how I feel about learning English. Okay, here it comes. Remember the first summer I got here? I worked in my aunt's restaurant in Maryland. And one afternoon, a man rushed into the restaurant and asked me a question that I didn't understand. I stood there and I felt my face was burning. My aunt came over and pulled forward to the restaurant. People were looking at me, and I felt like to find a dark place and hide there. Since then, I told myself that I have to learn more English. I worked very hard on my study, and I got to the regular class from ESL after one year. It seems to be a very good chance to improve English, but it was not. In the beginning, my classmates were curious and tried to talk to me. After they knew that my English is not so good, they stopped talking to me and made fun of me. They made me feel I was level, and I began to stop talking to them too. As an 18 years old girl, I felt ashamed about myself that I couldn't express myself and let people understand me. When I record unhappy events that happened in the past two years, I still feel a great sadness. Hmm... A story is a kind of boring, right? But it doesn't matter because there are some more interesting stories, such as the story of a guy misunderstood what has been told. him? Yeah, back
18: then I was young. It was really embarrassing. I felt stupid. Now I can laugh at it.
19: And the lady was asked to learn more English, but not Japanese.
18: <laughs> and you know, I
6: took it really very personal.
19: I'm sure that you can't wait to hear those stories. Play. Now let's listen to what real a college student from Taiwan wants to share with us.
16: I studied English in Taiwan since I was in high school. In Taiwan, it just focus on the writing skill or some reading. and We don't have a lot of chance to speak.
19: That's true. I feel the same way as he does. Next. We will listen to why people think that learning English is important.
18: Look, I think every human being likes to express himself or herself. So it's very frustrating when people want to know about you and you cannot express yourself. After a while, you tend to just be dismissive and say, "Uh
19: uh-huh, uh-huh. And now, let us listen to how it was like when they first began to learn English.
18: The setting was not very conducive because I went to a place in Colorado where there were not a lot of international students, so it was difficult, very frustrating. On the positive side, that propelled me to learn it fast and
16: to study diligently.
20: Learning English, I I think we need to read a lot and uh, you need to have a very good memory and you need to practice it.
16: I was very frustrated not being able to to, uh, understand my peers and my teachers in the classroom. Unlike some folks who learn a foreign language in their native language, which makes it much easier for them to learn. I learned English in English.
19: Ladies and gentlemen, Muhammad Adra.
18: A, a funny, tragic story. I was working in a restaurant. And someone got fired. Another person rushed in really quickly and told me, you know, Debbie got fired. And I didn't understand the whole thing, but I heard the word fired, and I thought it was a fire, and I left my station. And... Showtime in to
20: Once I went to Japan, and when I returned back, I was telling my friends and my boss, he was American, some uh, Japanese words, and he ended up telling me,
7: first, work in your English. <laughs> he gave me the energy just to concentrate. I will never, ever forget this guy.
19: Up to here, what do you think? Give you five seconds to think about that. Five, four, three, two, one. Time's up. I think you have already decided to help the new immigrants with their English, right? Okay, that's great. I'm looking forward to see people talking to me, like they're talking to their friends. I knew it takes efforts, and I would love to make the difference. I can see a bright future in your eyes. Thank you for listening. It's Winging Love on XYC Radio.
1: We have some audio pioneers up here. Molly with her ums and wing that countdown. I wonder when you. I'll give you five, four, three, two, one. How how did you come up with that idea?
19: Um, I think that's um what I try to tell other people. What um is the main theme of my piece? Yes. You
1: know that story. I've heard a lot of uh, radio stories in preparation for Third Coast, and that story of um, someone told me a story about getting fired, and I thought they said fire, and I left the restaurant. That's one of the stories I remember the most, I think. I'm not going to forget that story for a long time. It really struck me. Does people have questions for Wing or about XYZ Media in Washington, extreme youth zone?
19: Uh, we meet after school, like Tuesday and Thursday. How did but now is after school Wednesday?
1: How did you find the group?
19: how did how did you find the media group? Um, it's my um, sister's teacher. She told me, like uh, I was working um, in an after school program of an elementary school. To tutoring uh, small kids and my teachers, teachers, she told me that introduced me this program so I want to try something new and I enjoy this program. And Chi? Yeah,
1: how did you find the group?
20: Um, same as we young. Yeah. I work there as a community service and I teach kids and the teacher told me that there is a program so I joined it.
1: Hopefully, we're going to hear one of Chi's pieces as well in a little bit. Before, any more questions on learning English? How many people here, uh, English is their second language? One, two, three, four. And someone with two hands. English might have been their third language. Okay. We are moving now to one of my favorite towns in America moab utah one of the most beautiful places there is southern utah and haley pearson is going to present a piece of work haley grew up in moab and she's now in her first year of college in durango colorado at fort lewis college and um she did this story why don't you say what drew you to this story and what made you decide to do it
7: Well, my original plan was very different from how it turned out. Um, I originally wanted to know, well, uh, I guess I should explain a little bit about it first.
1: (laughs) Pull the mic a little closer to you, please.
7: Um, Well, it's about my grandfather. He was a uranium miner. It was during the uranium boom in Moab when that's the only industry they had. And I basically wanted to document, like, the woman's side of it and um, see what the life was like back at home. It like the, the kids, the lifestyle, the things that they did, see how different they were from, you know, what it is now, because now it's a tourism industry, and um, came out a little bit different and more just like the lifestyle in general, I think. Okay.
1: So let's hear Haley's piece, and then we'll talk about her story and about KZMU and Voices of Youth. Okay? okay.
7: Welcome to Voices of Youth Moab, this is Haley Pearson. Voices of Youth is a creative documentary project where Moab area youth learn the arts of black and white photography and audio film recording for radio production while exploring subjects of personal and community importance. Listen as Voices of Youth presents Portrait of a Mining Family.
15: My dad was a miner, my brothers were miners, my friends were all miners, that's what you did. Come and listen, you fellers, so young and so fine, and seek not your fortune in the
7: dark Mining runs mine. deep in mob history and in the history of my family. My grandfather, Louis Nichols, started out young as a hard rock miner and eventually became a foreman. He raised a family of girls while making his living as a miner. It is their life and perceptions that are the focus of this program. In my Portrait of Mining family, you will hear the voices of my grandparents, Louis Nichol and Linda Sorensen, with their oldest daughter, Christy Peck. They speak of the daily rituals, work, and sentiments that create their fond remembrances of the hard rock
15: mining lifestyle. And so uh, I got married while I was still in high school. So this facilitated that I went right on into working as quickly as I could. And uh, my first job was was in a mine, and it was on Polar Mesa. Uh, that's around on the back side of the mountain. I was 18 years old and I was married. We had a new baby. We lived in a mining camp.
21: And we'd drive up there and it took us about probably um, an hour and a half or so to go up to this camp and up in the mountains. And there was only about 20 people or so that lived up there. We would drive up there and we would stay ten days up on the mountain and we had no electricity, no running water. We moved up there when Christy was two weeks old. They would come down after four days and of course those days they had no peppers or any kind of diapers. We had cloth diapers so the first thing we would do when I came down from being up there for ten days, of course I had to do all the washing and get ready and buy all the groceries and be ready to go back up after four days. I remember we had a, a little Ford car, and we would take the back out of it, the back seat, and we'd put water, something to carry water, because we had to pack all of our water up on the mountain, too. Mm-hmm. That's where I learned to cut up deer meat, it was on the mountain, because we ate a lot of deer meat.
15: Mm-hmm. It was almost like a family, although there were several mining mines in the group uh, we all played softball in the evening. There's not a lot of things you can do when you live out in these mining towns or these little camps, and that was kind of a way of life. Uh, you went out to the mining camp, and then as the years passed, we didn't stay in the camps. We got where we came back to Moab, and we lived in our homes, and then we carpooled then off to the mines. And, and a typical day is uh, you got up at 6 o'clock, and... Uh, if you were a person that didn't get up very handy, the best thing to do is make your lunch the night before. But I always didn't have any trouble getting up as well as my wife. And We had breakfast, we had lunch, the kids were still in bed, off to work you went. And, uh, and of course, to, in order to make eight hours, it took you 12 hours, because it took you two hours to go and two hours to get home.
7: The work of a miner was difficult. We know this because it has been talked about, written about, and even sung about. We
0: are miners, hard rock
20: miners, to the shaft house
22: we must go.
7: Often overlooked is the role of the wife and children back at home. To me, their life while Dad was away was just as
0: important.
21: And I always got up and made breakfast and made lunch.
19: Louie
20: on the line,, boys, drill your holes and stand in line.
19: A little
21: bit later, the kids got up, got a ready for school, and they went to school. I basically didn't work, so I just cleaned house and and met with my friends, went to the grocery store, did all the shopping, did all the yard work, washing, ironing, usual things <laughs> that women do.
15: And as I got home, uh, of course, uh, these little girls were always glad to see Dad. Christy is my oldest daughter, and then three years later, I had another daughter named Brenda, and then five years later, I had another daughter named Angela. And so I have the three daughters.
23: He always had what he called diggers, and that's like the clothes that he'd wear to the mine, and they'd wash them. But he was always really conscientious about putting them in the utility room, and then Mom would wash them, you know, every Probably every day, maybe I don't know if he took clean ones every single day, or if they dressed out there at the mine. But
15: well, no, actually, I've got to tell you about that. Maybe you don't realize that you put your clean clothes on in the morning. You go off to the mine. You hang your clean clothes in a locker, Then you put on what we called our diggers. Now on Monday, we of course we just wore our diggers, and then at the end of the shift, while you hang your diggers on a long rope and a hook in the top of the dry where it was warm because your your diggers got either from sweat or from the water. A lot of mines are wet. Uh, they're healthier where you don't have the dust. So you wore your what I call your diggers all week and then you uh, you showered every night after your shift and then you brought your diggers home on Friday and took fresh ones back on Monday.
23: He's always been orderly, really really orderly. I mean everything has to be in its place. I remember on the one counter, he would take his hat off and put, He always had gum in his pocket, and he'd put his gum in his hat and his pencil and his little notebook and put it by the toaster, and it was there, and that's where he picked it up in the mornings with his lunchbox to go to work.
1: What do you think, as you're listening to it, sitting here and in a room full of people, what was going through your
7: head? I I don't really know how to answer that question. I just remember parts that I would like to change. (laughs)
1: Tell us what you would have changed.
7: Um, Maybe some of the narratives say things more in a more forward way. Um, I feel like there's more things that I could have said to explain, um, to add more to it. Do you explain what? I'm sorry. Just to add more to it, um, give more more of my thoughts on it. Like, say a
1: couple of those things. What that might be. What what occurred to you?
7: I don't know. I can't be... can't think of it right now.
1: I um, was really taken with how you used music in the story and your choice of music. I thought that those were really great. Just how did the how did the music come to you?
7: Um, my instructor Bruce found them. And I love them, so I was more than happy to put them in there. I thought that they added to it a lot, especially the one with the woman singing. I thought that was really pretty.
1: I wonder how you found Voices of Youth. How did you come to be part of that group?
7: Well, it started as a photography and audio project. And I just – it was first a photography class, and then you signed on for – A project where you documented some kind of some aspect of your community, and that's how I got involved. Okay. you want me to say something about the safety issue? It's just um, I've heard them say that um, you're as safe as you make yourself, and so neither of them were really that worried about it at the time. They didn't really um, think of uranium as a bad thing. They didn't really think of it as being radioactive or cancerous or anything like that. Well, my grandparents are divorced now and um, just even them thinking about that that period in their life is you know very like very hurtful for them to like think about. So me asking them these questions kind of brought back all these memories and like most of it was good memories, you know and so it was kind of just... I know, kind of a sad thing for them to talk about, but good for them to get it out, I think. I know hmm How did you go about choosing what Well, this is just the first six minutes of it. <laughs> Last night when we were over at the radio station you saw like the shortened version of it. I just chose the most most interesting parts to me, but this is just the first six minutes. No, this isn't shortened. Yeah, it's so funny. She's like, I didn't work. I just did this and this and this and this and this, mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. on time.
12: <laughs> I had a question um, about just the process that it, it takes to interview somebody that you're close to. Um, what kinds of things did you find out about your grandparents that you didn't know before?
7: Well, they mm-hmm. hadn't really talked about it at all until I asked them. Um, There's still a lot of things. I want to go back and ask them even more questions and, you know, maybe ask them more about their – I didn't really ask them about their feelings or, you know, I just asked them about, you know, basically what happened. And there's kind of a negative feeling that I get from them sometimes when I ask them about it. And and it's hard to ask somebody – I mean, I have a really close relationship with them. And so it makes me comfortable asking questions, but the questions I was asking made it kind of difficult. So – I love that part. I, I didn't um, kind of we just put it up on the program, and you just you know put subjects by subjects, and then we put them together, and we just happened to put it that way, and I, it just came out. <laughs> it was perfect how he could just like even though I interviewed them at different times, like he just answered her question. So. Mm-hmm.
10: One other question I had was I love the richness of the memories and the way you put it together again with the music. I wanted to ask you. I used to live in Arizona and over the years interviewed a bunch of Navajo miners just south of of where you're from and where you're talking about. And a lot of them got very sick, cancer and silicosis. And I know that a lot of the white miners in Utah also had health problems. There've been a bunch of lawsuits you're dealing with something that's not a news story, it's more of a personal thing, but that's such a big part of the reality of, of the hard rock miners, uranium miners especially. Did, did, and later on in the piece, did you were you able to explore any of that?
7: Um, I haven't, but I've talked to him about it. Um, my grandfather hasn't really had any sort of cancer or anything like that. The only thing that he's really talked about is um, his lungs. Just from like the mining lifestyle, like they they didn't have you know the best techniques for ventilation back then, and mostly all of his friends were miners. I would most of them are dead because with the combination of that and smoking, the only reason why he is still alive is because he doesn't he never smoked cigarettes. So, and uranium at the time they didn't even consider it a threat. They didn't understand the effects of it, and I don't really know. I'm I had someone ask me about that, and I. We tend to look into the the cancerous effects of it.
2: often people would pick music that wouldn't match anything at all that's the music of the whole mode along with the stories sort of adds to it instead of uh, distracting the listeners.
7: Thanks to give that part to Bruce picking it out. <laughs> I really liked it too.
1: Um, Why don't Wendy Dalton and Ashley Davis, who are also from Voices of Youth, why don't you come up to this microphone for a second and add your two cents. I told you I'd do that to you. Um, Okay, and because Voices of Youth has a couple of different projects. So let's bring them up, and let's keep going with questions. Yeah, in the back.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: Let me think. I I think I did ask him about that. No, I think I just intended to ask him about that notebook because I did her interview after I interviewed after I interviewed him, and I don't know. I he was a, like he started out as a minor and then he became a foreman after like I don't know 15 years or something, and that that was probably what that was used for when he was the foreman taking notes.
1: There are more questions about, yeah, go ahead, Chair. Can you speak in? Excuse me for one second, can you all hear what Charity is saying? Charity, why don't you either come to this mic or one of those, okay?
9: So people should, yeah, people should hear what you're saying. Okay, I was just saying that um, this piece is very reminiscent of um, the place I'm from and the way we produce pieces there and a big emphasis on coal and well, coal in my area and mining. Um, but you have had some problems presenting that to a more urban crowd. Do you ever get that you're the token um, rural piece or that people are more focused on the area you come from rather than the piece you produced?
7: Yeah, last night I felt kind of silly. Like, everybody was playing, all the youth groups were playing pieces that were, you know, more pertaining to youth subjects. And I feel like mine was kind of out of context. <laughs> I, I do feel kinda of like a small town girl when I come to a city. <laughs> That's very true, very true. But um how long were did you make those? I'd say I did it my junior year, so like
19: three years ago.
2: Yeah, because when you started to talk about um that compact um, mission you've gotten more into some of the
7: emotional issues I was just about into Um I hadn't really before this conference, but after talking about it and getting more involved with it, I think there's a lot of questions that I've thought of that I really, really want to ask them, even if not on radio. I I mean, I'd like to document it, but if not, I have a lot of questions that I need to answer.
1: More questions about this piece? Comments? Okay. So um, this is Wendy and Ashley, who are also from the Moab Project in why don't you talk about what you've been doing
9: as well? Okay. Um, we were part of the CAT CAT program. It's caring about teens, and um, basically it was a volunteer work. And um, one of the ladies from the Four Corners in Moab came and and you signed up, and there was about 27 that signed up, and it was groups of two, and you would go to the radio station, and uh, you had like you could pick your project you wanted to do it on and mine was on drugs and alcohol not necessarily the bad but just opinions of it so there was good and bad in it and and uh,
13: mine was about college like we had one person that okay had um graduated or and was not going to college was just staying in moab and then we had another kid that was going to graduate and go to college so we just like had their differing viewpoints on it and then but ours wasn't really like what they are doing—it was more live radio. We didn't produce it at all, and so we kind of just winged it. We
9: had we we had produced um, just little. We we took interviews of people, and we just had little uh, voice collages. Uh, it's called? Just put in every once in a while, just to hear the opinions of other people. So, yeah.
1: What's the hardest thing about doing live radio for you?
9: Keeping so that you don't have dead air, because <laughs> sometimes people don't want to talk, and you get really nervous, and it's just kind of like dead air, and you're like, yeah, so... Uh. So,
1: what's the weirdest thing you've come up with to fill dead air?
9: I think she's probably got that. Her clip had some funny stuff in it. Well, fortunately,
13: we had, like, two kind of crazy people <laughs> on our show, so... When it would start to get silent, they'd just say something weird, like, I want to live in a house with no windows or something. <laughs>
1: That's um, a recording studio. That's what they're talking what,
13: about. Yeah, so it wasn't too bad. We didn't have too much dead air. I don't know, and sometimes, well, we wrote a list of questions, and then whenever we, like, had dead air, we just hurry and ask the next one, <laughs> and... Then,
9: No, it was, um, we got grant money or something like that. And so it was just a, a project that they wanted to try out. And, and it worked out pretty good, and they want to do it again. But it's not anything that we, it's not anything that we do regularly. Yeah.
13: And there were a lot of people involved, so everyone didn't get to do it very often.
1: Chris and Chris. Bruce is the – are you the head of this program, Bruce? Of Voices. Two
2: oh, board members here really? with oh, us, we because we inspired by all of your projects time. something started.
23: Why don't you go to the
1: microphone?
8: Here, Moab is a town of 8,000 people, and we have a small community um, potent radio station that raises its $70,000 annual budget out of that community, which is pretty phenomenal. And we've discovered and decided that one of the great um, directions we want to go in is youth radio. <laughs> Obviously, you meet great people, um so that's what that's what drew us here. So we really thank. Um, The rest of you who've been doing things for years and years, because you've been our inspiration, it's nice to see you and be in the same room with you. I just wanted to give a little context to where we're headed. The Voices of Youth thing actually plants itself in different communities across the rural West. It's a program that I was fortunate to be co-creator of with uh, Mr. Hal Cannon over here, um, founder of the Western Folklife Center in Elko, Nevada. And we've gone into communities in the rural West who we feel are at risk of losing their community identity Um, as tourism develops and all this outside money comes in and work with the youth to say, what's there? You know, before you leave it and go off to college, why don't you find out something that's there that you've been involved in personally for a long period of time. We've done projects twice in Elko, once in Moab over a continued um, length of time and then uh, twice in Fresno, California, but out in the Central Valley in the uh, agricultural areas. And we'll go in for six weeks like uh, Chris and I did this summer or we'll go for nine months and and we'll go in and train a little bit and then leave and then come back, leaving the equipment with the youth and see what they come up with. You know, Pro Tools and iBooks are really great because uh, you can make radio programs in your hogan on the Navajo reservation and share it with the rest of the world. So that's a little bit about what we do.
1: Thank you. you. Do uh, Tina or Claire or Fu or any of the other adults that work with these programs want to come up and say anything about your programs? We're going to do Queen of Peace, but we're just – might be a moment just to kind of think about the prayers Tina from
0: Um, from Extreme
1: Youth Zone Media and um, these guys
23: um, were part of a spring program that we did last year from February to about May and that was really our first project and at the moment we I think um, Bruce you had asked earlier how we're set up and we pretty much met after school at a space that was borrowed so most of our equipment and um, space was all borrowed And um, at this point, we don't really have any funding to go on, so we are
1: just here. (laughs) Thank you. And here comes Claire.
4: Just in terms of what we do, it's it's also an after-school program. We're not affiliated with the school, which is... Nice because uh, you know the Supreme Court has ruled that schools don't have First Amendment rights, right? Like school papers and stuff. So it's nice not being part of a school. Um, although you know, schools can do great things, of course. But um, and then um, I guess the other thing I would say for people who are you know interested in you know developing programs like this for young people is that, um, you know, if you can manage to sort of get things started, um, it'll probably keep going. And um, uh, there are different, you know, anybody, if anyone wants to brainstorm about funding ideas or whatever, I'd be more than happy to talk to you. With a few little things that I figured out. They're not huge, but, um, you know, enough to, you know, sort of keep things going. And uh, um, in addition to our regular program, we have outreach programs that we do. We do an outreach program with incarcerated youth at the local juvenile correction facility, and we do a summer outreach program where some of our uh, more senior members, young people, uh, act as peer trainers for other groups of students in our area who don't normally access uh, Blunt, the idea of encouraging them to get involved and try it out. Um, so, and uh, I, I'm, it's very encouraging that we've uh, also received so much support from uh, all the other radio producers that are out there and the people like here at Third Coast and uh, also NFCB to keep going and um, give this kind of form for young people because there's nothing like being taken seriously to motivate you.
1: Thank you. We have three more excerpts to hear and this is Gabriela Santiago who is uh, at Queen of Peace High School and Gabriela, tell us about the uh, radio project that you're part of.
14: Well, my piece was presu- Um, produced um, last year, my freshman year, and the Living on Earth project was brought to Queen of Peace, and we did the, the, it was commentaries that the students had to do, and it was based on, like, how, what, what was wrong with our neighborhood, and, like, the struggles and problems that affected us, and, um... Well, and my commentary was mostly around, like, gangs and how that affected me because my brother's in a gang. So I explained, like, how I felt and how, well, that just basically affected me and my family. So let's hear Gabriella's story. I don't think anything could save my neighborhood. I live in Pilsen on 24th Street near Oakley. In my neighborhood... All you hear are the words ghetto and gangsters. Every night you see drug dealers pulling up to cars trying to sell drugs. They don't really care how old you are as long as you have the money and they have the drugs for you then and there. All these gangsters do is mess up people's lives, especially little kids trying to live their life to the fullest. I am 14 and I know kids as young as seven selling in my neighborhood. Nowadays, you see little kids on bikes who ride around throwing up the fort to all the folks. They'd be walking down the street with a joint in their hand, not even looking back to see if the cops are around. The cops are around, but nothing changes. As I walk down my street, I see gangs hanging out on concrete stairs of other people's houses. They wear expensive clothes like name-brand jeans and sweatsuits. My 20 year old brother, Daniel, is in a gang. They call him silent. Sometimes I don't see him for three or four days straight. He's been in and out of jail since he was my age, but that doesn't stop him from selling drugs. Every day I have to put up with him and his gangsters in my house. When they are around, I feel so violated like I just got raped. My mom works at night, so she's not around to make sure everything's cool. Every night, I have to go to bed scared and terrified of what is going to happen out there and to my brother. One night, my brother got jumped by a rival gang. They cracked his head open, broke his jaw, and took his clothes. When I saw him, I told him he deserved it for being in a gang. I thought he'd never learn his lesson from that. I guess not. He's still selling and gang banging. I wish it didn't have to be this way. Gangs have messed up my neighborhood and my family.
1: Wow, Gabriella! They call you Gabby, right? Yeah. So how I was amazed listening to you how the way you told that story, the way you presented that, how how did you find that way to tell that that voice?
14: Well when I was writing this commentary, like I was just thinking about just how I felt and just what were really what I just wanted to say and my views on games and how it like it affected me and my family also.
1: And just is there a workshop describe how where you came up with that idea and who worked on it with you. What do you go to an after school program? What's how does it work?
14: No, well the Living on Earth project came to our school and the topic that we had to write about was our neighborhood. And I worked with um Jesse Hardman, which is over there, and also my biology teacher which is Miss Um Anna Craftsonhoag.
9: Raise your hands Sarah.
14: and they helped me edit the the commentary and we used like pro tools and we just revised it until it came out to be like that had you been writing much before no that was well that was mostly my first time writing something big no because when I was I was talking to this um, this lady who was, who was helping me, and one time my brother came up and I told her like I didn't really want to talk about it. So like we just stood quiet until my brother left. And like I personally I don't really want him to hear this because I'm not that close with my brother that I tell him everything. So so I what well, my mom knows about it and also my sister, they they really don't have a problem with it. Cause they like they feel the same way also, but I don't. I, my my brother hasn't really heard the this piece. Well, I I don't like he won't like say like oh it was good or anything like that. But like my brother, what kind of my person my brother is that he doesn't really express his feelings, and I don't think he would say like like. Um I don't know how to put it into words here, but um my like my brother like he would he would um like well, I don't really know what he would say about it because I never really asked like I never really showed him, and I never really asked him like I don't really ask him anything about the gang or anything of how he feels and how he got into it, so I don't really know how he would react to it.
2: <laughs> um having been so brave to put that out like that. I mean just, just standing alone your voice. Are you gonna be safe walking down the streets of your neighborhood
14: with uh, the uh people of first lists? Will they hear it? Well, I don't I've haven't heard that around the neighborhood that they've heard it, but like my brother since he, like even though he's in a gang he's still concerned about me and he doesn't want me to be in the position he's in right now. So he, he takes care of me, and, like, I don't think they would say anything to me because they know that I'm his, I'm his sister, so I'm not really concerned about my safety.
1: Are you going to keep telling stories? Or are you going to keep doing this kind of work, do you think?
14: Yeah, I, I, like, I like to say my personal life, just, and I think I, I would like to continue this kind of writing well yeah I would I would I would like to show my brother this and to see if he would change but like I don't really think that would make an effect on my brother because my brother is really (laughs) hard-headed I thought about interviewing my brother, but like like I said, like he he wouldn't he doesn't like expressing his feelings so he wouldn't like put himself out there just for me to listen, you know.
12: Suggestion? on. Um, there's a phenomenal piece called Ghetto One O One. And get a left. yeah, Ghetto Life 101. Do you know about that piece? No. Um Suffice it to say it's it's just it's two young kids in Chicago who live um, in in the inner city. and David Isay gave them a recorder to take with them for I don't know how long it was, maybe a month or a year. I, I'm not sure, but they just went around and actually were inside of um, of their community and were recording all of these just phenomenal Stories of people, and um just it it might give you some comfort to kind of see that that kind of um, material being produced and that that it is out there, and that there are stories that sound similar um, that are being taken really seriously in the media. so I just I think you're so brave, and I just commend you on and being able to be here and writing about it. Thank you.
14: Thank you
1: very much. Did you want to say anything, Anna?
17: I was just going to say real quick, those of you who know Living on Earth, it's an environmental NPR show. And what's interesting about all of this, it's within the context of science. So every, this program was in LA, uh, Camden, New Jersey, New York, Boston, rural New Hampshire, Chicago. I think that's it. But say last year, we worked on something called affluenza. We wrote commentaries about uh, consumerism. The year before, or Gabby's year, it was um, your personal environment. What's been interesting is um, the people at Living on Earth have gotten a different concept of environment through what some of the kids have come up with. And the kids can apply it to science, which is, you know, increasingly important and interesting and it's a way for them to connect things some of them did stories and everything from a rooftop garden in chicago to birth control which at a catholic girls' school was you know again kind of controversial but um it's just great in the context of science and there's a science teacher connected to every um, group that works on this so there's a an element of that to it
5: yeah I wanted to say as I am the teacher so I know very little about journalism um, but I'm winding my way through it um, I just really you know just hearing Gabby's piece again was just so powerful for me and um, I think that it really enlarges the context of environmentalism I think that we think of it as this really middle class white um, movement and how can you teach kids about ozone depletion and air pollution when these kids are faced with these issues? And uh, both Gabby and Tiana, the girl who's sitting beside her, did such a wonderful job of really just examining their environment. And so um, I just wanted to publicly commend them, but also give you a context of how they are really pushing research and pushing the edges and boundaries of what we think of as the environment through this project.
1: Tiana, I wanted to ask you, why don't you pull that microphone over to introduce yourself and how you got drawn into this project.
24: Well, I took biology freshman year, so it was a mandatory thing we had to do.
1: (laughs) you got pushed into the project
24: yeah i really didn't want to do it at first i thought it was just another major project we had to do for a grade. but then the more i did it the more i came to like it and came to love it
1: so what have you been doing describe your well my
24: my piece um we did everybody did a commentary about their neighborhood but then i had recorded a mini piece about my bus ride from school to home i mean from yeah from school to home and just talked about what i thought and Everything I saw aside.
1: We don't have that piece here right now. Do you have, remember a few lines from it that you want to uh. go do live radio?
20: Yeah. I'm sorry, but I don't. Yeah. I know. I thought,
1: why am I putting you on the spot like that?
20: Um, Actually, I had a disc over there with it on.
1: You it. do? Okay. So, okay, we're going to go into overtime, people, because there's so much good sound. We'll hear an excerpt from your piece. Do you want to go help them find it? or do, do You got it? Okay. So... I think we're at about quarter of five, is that right, right now? Okay. Now, I was going to say we had two more excerpts, now we've got three. So Chi, we're going to go to your work. Do you want to, and we're going to play an excerpt of a piece that's about 12 minutes long, is that right? Do you want to set it up for people, introduce them, tell them the title and what it's about? Because you're coming into the last part of this piece.
20: My piece is called Parental Pressure. Is the first part is about I interview other people who had different dreams than their parents wanted to be. And I interview some people that had the same dream as their parents and some of them are different in how they and what they did after after their work.
1: And are we coming in on a part that is with your father? okay she interviews her family as well in this are we ready to hear some of parental pressure this is from extreme youth zone
16: Stealing rides on a freight train is one way to get around, but for many people living in the city, buses are the only way to get oh, where they're going. We're doing a quick Chicago high school freshman Tiana Clements. We'll go to Tiana's, an Tiana's piece the and then school. we'll come back.
1: We'll come back to Tiana's piece and we'll go to Chi.
20: To do well in music? Yes, uh, most people do.
11: Uh, for you, you do have the patience and it takes to try to get something right. Um, a lot of it deals with patience and persistence and self-pride. And um, I think you have those qualities.
20: I'm so happy that Mr. Gill said I have the talent to do well in music. But maybe my dad wouldn't agree that I'm a patient daughter. 你希望我以后做什么?
15: What
20: do you want me to be in the future? Come on, Dad. Come on, Dad, tell me.
16: I want you to be good in the future. What kind
20: of career do you want me to do in the future?
16: It depends on you.
20: Come on, say
15: it. I'm not sure.
20: Come on, say that again. You told me before. Come on, say that again. I need to record this. Seriously, it's very useful to me.
16: I wish you could go to college one day. After that, it will be your decision. I can't force you. I wish you could go to Harvard or MIT. And for your career, I wish you could study medicine.
10: What do you mean by study
20: medicine?
16: Be a pharmacist. Is that it? Yes, you need to work hard on your studies.
20: Do you wish I could take care of you later on?
16: No, not that much. Why? I can take care of myself.
20: Did grandma ask you to take care of her?
16: Yes, because we're Chinese. Younger people are supposed to take care of the older ones in the family. However, it's different here in America.
20: So why do you do not wish I can take care of you in the future?
16: It's not that I don't want you to take care of me. If you can feed me, that'd be great. But if you don't want to feed me, I won't ask you to. I will not ask you for money. That's just impossible. After your mom left us, I fed you. It was a lot of work.
20: My dad changed a lot after the divorce. Probably it is why I have always had a very close relationship with him. I look at him as my friend.
1: event coming in here. So... And, and I really want you guys to hear these three pieces, so Joanna instructed me that we are not going to discuss, we're just going to roll through and listen, because there's just so much good work to take in before we go. I um, thank you, Chief, for letting us play that. I think one of the things that has moved me so much about this panel, along with the work and what... Uh, these new producers have to say is also uh, a lot of people came up here just to support their friend whose work was being presented to make sure that they uh, would come up on stage and do this. And I feel that's such a spirit that we all work in, and um, I just want to remind us of all that. You know, watch each other's back. I think that's a – I was remembering that today. Um, Tiana, we're going to end. Do you – Is Tiana's CD in there right now? Okay, then we'll end on another story. Tiana, anything you want us to think about as we hear a portion of this?
24: Think what you want.
1: Think what you want. And let's hear a piece of this. How long is it? Okay, we'll hear an excerpt. Here we
16: go. Stealing rides on a freight train is one way to get around, but for many people living in the city, buses are the only way to get where they're going. Chicago high school freshman Tiana Clemens spends an hour a day riding the bus home from school, but sometimes she says it feels like an eternity.
24: I wonder how long it's going to be for me to get to my destination. The bus is late yet again picking us up from Quinnipiac High School. As I sit on the bus, I look out the window and see how much of a beautiful day it is. Beauty, but so cold. We sit here and wait on the bus for quite some time and then we finally pull off. I sit here continuing to look out the window as the bus jerks back and forth, stopping and going. In the car, this happens, but believe me, it's much more of a comfortable and peaceful ride. But with a car, All you have to worry about is the bobbing and weaving in and out of traffic. You don't have to worry about stopping and picking up people and sitting next to the most disgusting person you've ever seen. We make a stop. And I look out the window and as I look, I see litter upon litter upon litter on someone's grass. I ask myself, how can someone throw it down there? And how can someone else just leave it? But then I think about all the times I've done it myself. The bus moves so slow.
1: This is excruciating not to get in conversation, but okay. Last piece of the day. Um, as this panel came together, I had heard a new piece of work that just came over the transom. I don't know how many of you know the story, Perfect Hearing. It's a piece that was born at Third Coast, uh, really. Nubar Alexanian, who's a photographer, came last year with Jay Allison and Vicky Merrick and the uh, crew, Uh, and he uh, produced his first piece of radio that just went up last week uh, with Jay Allison and with his daughter, Is Abby 15? 14-year-old daughter Abby, and it just somehow felt right to close this panel with a father-daughter story. So we're going to hear an excerpt of a piece called Perfect Hearing. Jay produced it with Nubar and with Abby, a a family co-production. Anything you want to just say in setting it up, Jay or Nubar?
22: The story starts out about this ringing that I have in my ear. And so you come in on you actually hearing the ringing that I hear. And my daughter was working for me in my office this summer, and she was transcribing the case. And the story is that the readings became about her and I. So you'll hear just a little piece of what I hear, and then you'll hear her.
1: And I wanted to include this because of the uh, daughter, Abby. And also because I think that Transom is a place that so many new producers will find uh, is where some of their first work uh, will get aired and also where a lot of the tools of the craft are and a wonderful community that uh, unites people from around the country. So that's also why I wanted to have that as as a place for us all to know about. So here's a piece of perfect hearing.
22: Can you play both of them at the same time?
2: I might be able to. to uh, Let me try this for a second.
22: What are you
6: saying? Um, Well, as we've been doing this piece, I've been thinking it must. I can imagine having a tone in my ear, especially like a pure tone, tones that don't stop like that. So I can not even imagine what it must be like to have it all the time.
22: So, so what is it about the, the 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 having the tone?
6: Like you, you're trapped inside your own head. You're in a room with no doors and no windows and just a speaker of that sound driving you literally up the walls. I swear I would cut my head off or something. i follow Van Gogh's path and cut my ears off.
22: This just an odd thing to say, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm somewhat grateful for the tone. Of course, I'm not, I don't feel grateful on bad days. But, you know, before you were born, I used to travel constantly on assignment all over the world. And on good days, when I think about it, I think about the tone being a warning that I needed to slow down. And then you were born, and I thought, not only did I need to slow down, but I wanted to slow down. Um, and I, and and on bad days I feel like, oh, you know, okay, I've learned this lesson. I've slowed down. Now the tongue can go away, but it doesn't go away.
6: I'm reading through this outline of all the tapes that we have. And you say, I could not imagine losing my hearing. And I was like, well, wait a minute, it's not that bad. And then I realized it's sort of the reverse. I haven't really lived with perfect hearing ever, so I can't compare. But I just thought it was interesting that you couldn't imagine losing your hearing, and I could not imagine having tinnitus.
22: Do you remember when you got your hearing aid? Oh. No. You want to hear, hear what happened? Okay.
1: So you can hear that whole piece on transom and probably on the radio sooner than later. Keep it, your ears out. I would like to thank Tiana and Gabriella from Queen of Peace. And Haley from Moab and Voices of Youth. And Wing and Chi from XYZ Media in Washington D.C. And Molly from Blunt in Portland, Maine. And just one last time, everyone who works with Youth Radio, Radio Rookies, Blunt, all of you stand up and take big bow. Woo! All of you, the Moab people, Radio Rookies, Queen of Peace, everyone in the room involved with all these projects, thank you very much for all you do, and thank you all for coming. Gals, anyone want to say anything before we get out of Dodge? Thank you all for coming.
11: I just want to clarify one thing real quick, because it didn't get said about our program. These two young women here that were in caring about teens, and this is for any of you that might, because we can only do what we get the funds to pull off. It sort of started because of a Sound Partners grant, which I think you all know about. If you don't, it's Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and while it's not necessarily youth-oriented, That's what we chose to follow when your radio station hooks up with a community partner, be it a domestic violence shelter or hospital or whatever it is. And we live in a town where uh, the word condom can't even be mentioned in the high schools or the junior highs. And so there were two women working at the behavioral health, the Four Corners Behavioral Health uh, Institute in town who do a program outside of the school called Life Skills for Teens. So we partnered up with them. The radio station gets 15000 The partner gets 7500 If you include a, include a third media partner, they get $10,000. And this, they, Robert Wood Johnson is not funding this year. They are funding the final round of this project next year. So the calls for proposals will come out in May of 2004. And uh, any of you that are interested in that, I highly suggest you look up soundpartners.org. And if you have any questions about them or how to pursue that, I'll be going to answer it. So that's why Caring About Teens really wasn't much of a produced uh, youth program. It was we tried to reach as many teens as possible so that they could each do one show a week. But what we've learned from mainly people like Claire at Black and youth in Berkeley, is that we want to take these students and bring them up to the level of the rest of you to do regular, consistent, recurring production, like Voices of Youth. So that was our plan and why Johanna was gracious enough to uh, allow us to come here.
1: And one one last thing before we go. Tomorrow afternoon after lunch, there will be a second Breaking the Mold panel. Nikki will be commentating this one. And Andy Zonka Youth Empowerment Program from Carbondale, Colorado. WDIY Youth Media from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And NYC's Radio Rookies will be on deck tomorrow.
2: So thank you.